Our scripture that reading this morning is our final passage from Philippians, and what a great, every week has been a great passage, and this is yet another one. Our reading is from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that you, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Well, we've reached the final sermon in this sermon series, this journey through Philippians, one of the most beloved letters. How many of you, just raise your hand, is Philippians in your top five favorite, but, well, the choir is, is uh, uh, making their, their choice known, and, and that also, for those of you on camera or on video, um, know that, that uh, there were a lot of hands raised. Um, for those of us who maybe are new to biblical study, I would say that in addition to, oftentimes I encourage people to start reading scripture if you've never read scripture before by reading the Gospel of John. But after the Gospel of John, I think Philippians is one of the more succinct uh, letters or books in the New Testament where you get a sense of what life in relationship with Christ is meant to be and what church life, relationships with others in the body of Christ is meant to be. It's certainly very uh, kind of powerful for us as a congregation as we, as we move forward together into a new season of ministry. Now, it's, as a final sermon in this series, uh, I want to give a final thank you to the Everett Rowing Association who, were the, who are the owners of the competitive rowing oars that you will find uh, behind me. And uh, they have graced our stage, and really we believe they frame the cross uh, there during this series. We've been focusing on 
or using as an ongoing kind of repeated illustration the idea of team rowing to talk about the, the cooperation in the body of Christ that the Apostle Paul is talking about in Philippians throughout. There's not a chapter, not, not a section in this entire letter where it's not relevant. So we've stayed with this particular image. And, and uh, uh, we've mentioned on a number of occasions the, the novel or the, 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 uh, the account, the biography of the boys in the boat, the uh, University of Washington crew that uh, rose to represent the United States in the eight-man uh, boat at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, Germany, under the shadow of, of the Third Reich. And they came home with the gold. And uh, they have been celebrated uh, really ever since. And uh, uh, about uh, 15 years ago or so, the, this book was, uh, became a bestseller. So they were reintroduced to the world. But uh, around this area, and, and I need to say this because... Because we have a, an audience that can actually go global, there can be some people who are watching this, this sermon and, uh, and not be aware of like what is local to this. So we are in the Seattle area where the University of Washington is located, and it just so happens that a lot of students who studied at the University of Washington and were student-athletes in the 1930s settled around the Seattle area. And so the idea of people in this area and even in this church or this region knowing some of the boys in the boat is actually pretty high. And in fact, uh, something that I didn't know when we started this series, I was reminded of or informed of by the, uh, the, uh, the pastor of this church, Paul Strawn, who was here for the first 30 years of this church's existence, he said, oh yeah, one of the charter members of North Creek, his dad was one of the boys in the boat. Yeah, Roger Morris is his dad, and he was one of the boys in the boat. In addition to Roger Morris, you've got Don Hume, George Shorty Hunt, everyone had a nickname back then, Jim Stubb McMillan, Johnny White, Gordy Adam, Chuck Day, and then Coxon Bobby Mock. And in addition to that, Joe Rance. Now the book, The Boys in the Boat, really focuses on the story of Joe Rance in particular. Uh, and it tells the story, his childhood story in this region, in the 30s, in the Depression, uh, but also talks about his relationship with his wife, Joyce, and how they met each other and, and their life together. And uh, uh, Joe and Joyce were uh, active at Lake Forest Park Presbyterian Church, which is just down the road. It's a church in our presbytery. And both of them, their lives were celebrated there uh, at Lake Forest Park Presbyterian Church when they passed away. So I just wanted to, to kind of give you that sense of flavor and, and uh, that sense that, that to many in this community, this is a, uh, is a personal story. Um, it's a family story. In this final section of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, he begins by rejoicing again. <laughs> Last week, we kind of focused on the joy element and uh, traced it throughout and then focused on a particular element, but we're not done with joy in Paul's letter because he begins this last section in verse 10, I rejoiced greatly. What is he rejoicing greatly in the Lord about? This, that at last you renewed your concern for me. 
And he goes on to share a little bit about what this concern was all about. So we're being led into this this relationship that Paul and the Philippian Christians had. It was a relationship that spanned time and distance and was was one in which they were concerned for each other's well-being and they gave to meet each other's needs. Sounds like an incredible friendship, doesn't it? In verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. See, Paul encountered troubles, but he didn't face them alone. And he's telling the Philippians, I didn't face these alone. You shared these troubles with me. He says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul is sharing with these Philippian Christians this sense of gratitude, his joy, that they shared in the troubles that he faced, and they, they put it into practice in practical ways, sending to him a gift. We've learned in Philippians that, that they actually sent a gift to Paul while he was in prison in Rome through one of their members, Epaphroditus. Some really interesting things, lessons about giving and receiving in the church are here in this text that I think it's powerful to think about as we, as a congregation, begin stepping into a stewardship season and think about our giving and receiving. The Greek word for concern here, Paul's saying, I rejoice greatly because of your concern for me. It's actually, that word concern, translated into English, is the exact same word that we've seen throughout Philippians whenever Paul talks about be of the same mind. Be of one mind. And also, when Paul said, have the same mind or mindset as Christ Jesus. It's the same word. In this context, it's translated in English as concern. But what it connects with, and this is the point that I want to make here, is that the concern that the Philippians are, are, are showing toward Paul is that he's on their mind. They are thinking of him, and, and their care and their sharing with him in his need is an expression of their one mind in Christ. They're on the same wavelength as they give and receive. And also, it's an expression of the mindset that was in Christ Jesus, of, of, of humbling oneself and doing acts of love for one another. Not looking only to your own interests, remember from chapter 2, but also to the interests of others. So our concern is kind of the activity of having the mindset of Christ. But what you also see in here in verse 14 is this word share. This word share mentioned twice in this little mini testimony where Paul's talking about the relationship between himself and the Philippian Christians. It's one of sharing. And the word used for share here in Greek is koinoneo. Have you heard the word koinonia? I'm glad some of you are nodding because I mention it all the time from the pulpit here. Because we can't, actually in the New Testament, you really can't help but mention it or notice it. Community, 
fellowship. Those are English words that we read in our scriptures, but also sharing, right? Think about how in fellowship it's about sharing our lives with each other. But koinonia has to do with, with sharing in meeting each other's needs, too. I mentioned earlier that we have the board of deacons here at this church, those called to compassion. But they're not just people who do our sharing and community for us. They, they help coordinate the sharing of the body of Christ, each one of us to one another. That's fellowship. That's community. Relationship. Sharing. In the church we're called into a reality. A reality that is full of bright, buzzing energy throughout the world at any given time, no matter what else is going on. And it is the economy of the kingdom of God. How's the stock market doing right now? Kind of so-so. Some of you are saying, I feel pretty confident in, in my, my trading ability. Others of you are looking at the balances on your 401k. And uh, others of you just uh, have decided not to look at those reports at all. Uh, which is pretty sound advice when, when you know, we kind of, it's going up and down and up and down. Generally, you know, things go down. It's really hard, right, to, to, to feel good when, when uh, things are kind of topsy-turvy in terms of that graph that you see. We have a, an image on screen that, that reminds us of what it looks like. Uh, we have trends that go up and things are going well, but then when they go down, it's like, okay, we start to worry Well, in God's economy, there is always a robust business of people giving and receiving to meet needs all the time. And here's the, the key here, whether or not we participate in that. It's one of the most beautiful things about having our eyes open to the reality of God's presence in the world and actively moving in koinonia, in the community of the, of the church, in this place, but throughout the globe. Whenever the economy is down, that graph that shows things going down does not describe what's going on in the sharing within Christian community. You see, people, people's needs are expanding during that time. But what's happening? Sharing goes up. Love gets expressed, maybe even more so. Can people actually be, joy, be joyful when they're facing the suffering of a declining economy and less resources? Well, let's ask ourselves, could, could Paul have the audacity to say what he's saying here, that he's rejoicing greatly even though he's writing from prison? And he's writing to a group of people who are suffering? The, the sharing of resources, the giving and receiving in the kingdom of God is always great business. Always. Can you sense what that means? How, do some of you have a, your own story of when you were touched in your need by that bullish market. 
people sharing with you, giving not just from their abundance, but sharing their very lives and, and things that were valuable to them when you were in need. Uh, yesterday, I'm going to mention Jancy here because yesterday Jancy shared uh, what her experience was of yesterday uh, at our event of, of working for InterVarsity for seven years and being responsible for, uh, for basically she had to get her support from donors. And you mentioned, now you, I think you mentioned something, how, how low did your account get? 12 cents. Okay, 12 cents. Now, okay, 12 cents, pretty low. Pretty low, even back in the day when you can go to the store and buy a piece of candy for a penny. Uh, that's still pretty low. And yet, and yet something is amazing, isn't it, in God's kingdom economy, is that, is that, is that God didn't let Jancy go. God held Jancy. And, and what God did to provide for her needs was through the church, was through other people. And they're giving and receiving. And friends, this should be just a joyful celebration for us. That we have been called into this kind of community. Amen? Amen. Amen. In the church, we have taught this. And and in the synagogue, we teach this. It's actually taught in mosques as well. that, that, That it's blessed to give. Social science backs it up, too. Uh, sociologist Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson wrote a book called The, uh, the Paradox of Generosity. It came out a few years ago. Um, and they define generosity as the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. And they discovered through social science that those who give receive back in return. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own well-being. And in letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives This is what Jesus said. That those who who are so focused on providing for their own lives to save their lives on their own, they might find themselves without a life. And yet those who give can can look forward the way I would interpret it for their lives to be held in God's economy and be provided for through generosity. Generosity. Many of us have stories where we've been blessed in this giving and receiving. I think, of, I think of opportunities through the years, and many of you have this experience as well, of, of being uh, approached by youth or young adults who are going on a mission trip. And they need support for that because it costs money. They don't have resources. And yet they come to you and, and just, just as, a, as a poll, just nodding of your heads, do you look at that and say, uh, as a kind of grumpy, fold your arms, say, you don't understand the problems that I have. I need all my money. No, you didn't do that, did you? You look at them and you say, this person wants to serve. And that, how much are you asking for? Maybe you don't even have, <laughs> you know, this, this is not from your extra funds, but you're just saying, this, in this moment, I have this opportunity to bless this person in God's economy. We see it in so many ways. Um, new ministries being started. Uh, even, even a church like this, we're sitting in a, in a sanctuary that, that, was, that was supported by a giving campaign, and people giving to this. And many of us remember when we gave, and some still are giving to this. It's beautiful. 
in God's economy. I want you to leave. If you leave this sermon with only remembering one thing, just remember that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and God's economy is always bustling and bursting with giving and receiving and meeting needs, and God invites us into that joy, into that joy. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue on in in what Paul is saying here at the end of Philippians, Um, because Paul mentions his joy, but he also mentions something in one of the most memorized verses of all time. He mentions something else that we need. And also a commodity that he is generous with in giving to each one of us in his economy. And that is strength. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And how does Paul, how is Paul able to be content even in times of great need? Verse 13, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's do it again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is a well-memorized verse, friends, and maybe you've just memorized it right now if if you've never done it before. But the richness of this opportunity to to dive deeper into the context. When you realize that the person penning these words is writing from a prison cell and has known great need. And he's writing to people who know great need. And yet because of this generous giving and sharing in Christian koinonia or fellowship, Paul can say that he can do all this. He can be content even in times of great need because of the strength God provides. And that strength comes from prayer. And it comes from the word. We mentioned earlier this service about about our ongoing uh, partnership with practicing the way and the spiritual practices that we are learning. And we'll continue to learn and, and have opportunities if we miss an opportunity. But coming up in November, we're talking about solitude. Time alone, but not just time alone, but time alone with God. That is a strengthening time. So think about times when you, when your strength is flagging. Think about your phone and when you wonder, like, okay, when am I going to get to recharge this thing and am I going to lose it? You have one bar left, maybe, and uh, how can you get fully recharged? We know what it's like to feel that way. I think about the many uh, parents of infants or toddlers in our midst today and just think, you know, you've you got to think longitudinally with this as well because, because, you know, we can, many of us who've been through that can say to you that, yeah, there will come a time when you will feel you have a lot more energy and strength than you do now. But we're here to support you during this time 
so, during this time when we know we've been there that, that you need help as well and strengthening. And we say that as well to those who are, who are um, elderly among us, those who, are, who find themselves um, suffering through health crises. Uh, this, we can strengthen one another because do you see how in its context, when Paul says, I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me, he's just talked about how Christ has strengthened him through the sharing of others. So yes, it is through prayer. Yes, it is through engaging God in Scripture and getting that spiritual uh, strength. But God moves and strengthens us and recharges us through one another. Our deacons share, share encouragement cards. That's one of the options that you can choose to support the deacons. Is you, can, you, can, you can write a card to someone and support them and encourage them. And that gives you strength. You can cook a meal, take part in the meal train for someone who needs that meal, and that meal delivers physical strength, literally, but also spiritual strength, knowing that, that, and in that picture, I just sometimes envision all those lines of connection among the body of Christ. I look out among our congregation, I look out through the TV camera lens, and I just see all of these connections, because I know you've made a meal for them, and I know you've done an encouragement card for them and you shared with the congregation a need their need because they weren't able to do it but you shared it with a larger need of praying and then pretty much everyone in the room at, with our prayer chain has been praying for that person it's amazing sometimes it's too much even to to comprehend frankly I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength we've been talking about competitive rowing and there really are few athletic activities that push the competitors to the breaking point in terms of their strength, as competitive rowing does. Um, and so from that, you, can, you could kind of turn down uh, the road of kind of saying, well, it's all up to me. I've got to do the strength. Yes, yes, our strength is important, but, but we're going to emphasize that sense of being picked up by other rowers. Being encouraged in the team, uh, that's what we do in the body of Christ as we are strengthened in Christ and through one another. John Calvin, I thought I, I needed to say something from John Calvin because it's Reformation Sunday. And John Calvin is like the, the, uh, the founding father of Presbyterians, uh, and uh, he, in looking at this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he said this, and this is an encouragement to his church, it's an encouragement to us, Christ will not be less strong and invincible in us also. If conscious of our own weakness, we place reliance upon his power alone. Paul ends his letter to the Philippians, brings it to a conclusion by talking about God's abundant provision. More than enough. Verses 17 through 19. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. More than enough. Because there is a God working in this way, in this world, more than enough. Because of the way God has blessed us and turned our hearts to share willingly with others, especially those in need, more than enough. As we transition into the Thanksgiving season, I encourage you to take time, perhaps in solitude, in prayer, but take time to think about God's abundant provision in your life. In that way, whenever we think about the things we're grateful for and thankful for, the ways God has blessed us, what we're doing is we're just opening up the the screen and looking at the incredible uh, performance of God's economy in the world and that it's touching our life, it's touched our life, and that we might be be invited to take part in that generosity, that celebration. It's according to God's riches in glory. You see, God has abundantly enough and blesses us with abundance. There's no limit. We're, Paul ends his letter by just reminding the Philippians that, that if you ever feel like you've gotten to the end of your rope and, and God has nothing more to give you, just don't go there. God, God's riches in glory far surpass whatever need we can, we can have. What is beyond our imagining? It's possible. So to end our sermon series, um, as a way of illustrating this aspect of more than enough, I want to share with you a, a final story from the world of competitive rowing. I was introduced by, uh, by Linda Roundhill, one of our members, to a documentary film called A Most Beautiful Thing. It's based on a, uh, a book written by Arshea Cooper, uh, and the subtitle of this book, uh, titled The Most Beautiful Thing, is the true story of America's first all-black high school rowing team. It was the 1990s, the west side of Chicago, Arshe, in, in the book, starts out by sharing what life was like for him at age 13. His mother had been a drug addict most of his life. And when he was 13, his mother disappeared. Feared dead. He admits that he had kind of given her up for dead. Because he felt abandoned. But a remarkable thing was happening in those moments. His mother had checked herself into the Victory Outreach Recovery Home down the street, a ministry of a local church. Months later, Arshe and his siblings were invited to the church to meet their mom, who was in recovery. And they heard her testimony of how God had saved her. 
Now, Arshe had never believed in God, but, but what he was seeing in his mother and from the other testimonies and even from the preacher's preaching got him thinking, quote, in that moment I thought, God, if you're there, open my eyes and my heart to see that this is real. And almost as a direct answer to his prayer, Arshe's rowing story unfolds. Here's the trailer to that documentary. In the late 90s, the west side of Chicago was not a good place to grow up. It was like a war zone. Some people asked what college you're gonna go to when you grow up. In that neighborhood, the big question was what gang you're gonna join. A kid got shot in front of Mally. Killed him dead right on the curb. It kinda makes you lose hope for your community. How do you break out of that? But a chance encounter changed everything. I walk inside the lunchroom and I see this boat. I didn't even know what rowing was. We don't even swim. You gonna take some West Side kids over to the lake? Nah, that's not gonna work. It brought guys from different neighborhoods, from rival gangs, together in one boat. When it's calm and you're out there, it take your mind away from any problems that you have. It brightened my life. There was something about the water that gave us peace, and we all needed that. Now, 20 years later, they're back on the water. What are we training for here? Chicago Spreads. We're trying to rewrite history here. Training starts today, Arshay. Malcolm's doing this to show his son another way. Preston's going back in time to undo his mistakes. Alvin's racing to celebrate the fact that he's still alive, that he's still here. Now you get an opportunity to inspire another generation. What are you going to do with it? We're on a mission now. It's going to be a remarkable moment when they come together and get to that starting line again. Brothers encouraging brothers. That needs to spread like wildfire through our communities. What he's doing is a beautiful thing. When that flag comes down, there's only one truth, that they are still here. Manly! At the end of this documentary, what you didn't see pictures of here, and I do encourage you to, to, to watch it if you have the chance uh, to read Arshay Cooper's book of the same name. But uh, at the end, the crew uses rowing to, as an element of seeking racial harmony and peace within uh, the inner city West Chicago neighborhood. There's been there's quite a history of of conflict between the residents of the city who are mostly black and the police department mostly white. And what you're seeing here is a is a picture of of our uh, our rowers uh, who basically invited members of the the Chicago Police Department to train with them. Uh, white police officers train with them to pull on those oars together and compete together as one unit, as a sign, a sign, really, of God's kingdom of peace, that people can live in harmony together. Yes, there are tons of, of examples every day 
that remind us of the need. But there are also stories like this in God's kingdom, in God's reign, where, where peace is happening, where seeds are planted, where God's spirit waters that, where, where people come together in the same boat. The spirit is on the move in this world among us within our lives, but also opening our eyes, open our eyes to the needs around us and giving the invitation to be a part of this great work of God in our world. We will find, as we follow Jesus, encouraged by these words in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we will find joy And we will find strength. And we will learn that in Christ, we have more than enough. Amen.